Well, last night was not the Big East night. There are two NIT squads on the men's side. Unfortunately, had their seasons ended on the road. I'll recap that and make my first four picks, even though they're not going to involve Big East teams. Might as well. Right here on day 15 of the Igloos March Marathon. Last night, it, it, it sucked to have those uh, two men's NIT games involving Big East teams so late. And it started at like... Wait, what? It was 9 o'clock? Villanova Liberty, Nova without... Cam Whitmore, and Justin Moore, so they were really limited. And they're taking on a Liberty team that was the runner-up in the A-Sun behind Kennesaw State. And they got to play them on the road. It was a recipe for disaster. Liberty led by seven heading into the locker room. Neither team had a lead of... Double digits. Uh, Liberty's biggest lead was eight. But credit Villanova, even when it looked like the game was over in hand, Liberty missed some free throws that allowed Villanova to have opportunities late in the game to either tie or take the lead. Or, you know, dramatically cut into the lead. So... Let me kind of go over, like, so it was six points at 120. Colin Porter missed a one and one, and then you had a miss on the other end. Porter makes two of two, like, okay. I think it was after that, that's when things started to get weird. Uh, Slater with a layup to cut it to six. They got a foul. Porter makes one of two. And then a careless turnover by Nova. And then that's turned over. Slater makes a three to cut it to four. They got a foul. Porter misses both. So that's opening the door for Nova. And they can't cash in. Hausen just rushed a shot. Because I watched the end of the game. Housen rushed his shot. You know, they Liberty gets the rebound. Eric Dixon gets the foul. Uh, gives the foul. Porter makes one of two. And Nova can't answer. And the Flames survive in Lynchburg, VA. 62-57. to 57. No surprise. Leading the way for the Flames. Darius McGee with 26 points on the night. 9 of 20 from the floor and 5 of 13 from long range. The aforementioned Colin Porter with 14 points. And then you had 6 each from Kyle Rode, who knocked down a couple threes. And then 6 points, 12 rebounds from Zach Cleveland. On 3 of 6 shooting. 
Uh, four points in 13 minutes from Blake Preston. And then they got three off the bench from Shiloh Robinson. The big thing is, you know, Nova, 15 fouls compared to Liberty's 14. They just couldn't get to the line as much. Five of seven, Liberty 12 of 19. And the Flames, 10 of 26 from long range. Villanova took the same amount. You know how many they made? Four. Obviously didn't help that they didn't have two of their best players in uh, Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore. Brandon Slater, back in his home state in his final college game, 18 points, 9 rebounds, 8 of 13 shooting, 2 of 5 from long range. A dozen each from Eric Dixon and Mark Armstrong. Dixon with a double-double grabbing 13 rebounds, 5 of 15 shooting, though, 1 of 5 behind the arc. Armstrong, 6 of 11 from the floor, 5 boards and 3 assists. Big thing with Nova, 8 assists on the game only, on 24 made field goals. Liberty, 14 assists on 20 made field goals. Jordan Longino got the start and had eight points. Caleb Daniels, though, his final college game, uh, it's one to forget. And not just because of the fact that it was in the NIT. Daniels was 2 of 15 from the floor and 0 of 9 behind the arc. I mean, ugh. So year one of the Kyle Neptune era ends with a 17-17 and record and a first-round loss in the NIT. I mean, who knows how different it could have been if Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore played in this game, but we'll never know. If I'm being honest, Nova wins this game with those two. And I don't... And I couldn't feel more confident in saying that. I will die on that hill. And then 11 o'clock, it it upset me so much that I stayed up to watch this wire to wire. And (laughs) something I thought was hilarious. Little over 2,000 fans showed up in Boulder. I mean, it's different in Lynchburg where you had 3,200 or so out of a 4,000-seat arena. Colorado's arena has 11,000. In their capacity, only 2,363 showed up. Seen all started off well, but the big thing is with with them, and this is just a recurring theme. I mean, it was the same thing with DePaul. They let Colorado make their threes. And Seen all couldn't make their threes. Pretty simple. But yet, Seton Hall was in a position to potentially win the game. Casey Nadefo had a big steal in an and one that he converted the three-point play to take a one-point lead, 64-63. By the way, it was so funny, uh, Femi Odukali, you know, finding the camera and going crazy right in front of it. Uh, I mean, absolutely meme-worthy. I had to. I had to mention that. And then on the next possession, careless defense by the Pirates, which is weird to say. But they made a careless defensive play and they let Colorado score an easy bucket off a slip screen. And Seton Hall, you know, the look they got, I don't think it was what they wanted. Uh, I feel like Femi Odukali may have tried to, you know, try to throw it up to himself to try to get the offensive rebound because it was a... 
it was a weird, if it was a layup, that was a weird layup to take. And then the ball was bouncing around, you know, almost like pinball, you know, pinballing between multiple players on both teams. Colorado comes down with the rebound. Uh, but as Luke, was it Luke O'Brien? It was, it was someone else. It was either O'Brien or I don't, I don't remember, but Colorado escapes and Seton Hall season ends in heartbreaking fashion. Second straight game with a one point loss in, in a tournament, 65, 64 in Boulder, 18 off the bench to lead the way for Ethan Wright. It was him who had the game winning rebound five and nine from the floor, four of six behind the arc. 15 from Tristan De Silva. 5 of 16 shooting, 3 of 6 behind the arc. 10 points from Julian Hammond. 4 of 9 shooting and knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. 8 points and 14 boards from Luke O'Brien on 3 of 9 shooting. 5 each from Neek Clifford and Jalen Gabadon. The latter of which did it off the bench. Four points for their center, Lawson Lovering. And again, inside the arc, Colorado was 11 of 36. I mean, that's a that's hideous shooting numbers. And Seton Hall, just six turnovers to Colorado's 10. But again, the big difference maker, Colorado, 10 of 18 from long range. Seton Hall, four of 18. Casey Nadefo in his final college game, he made a count. 18 points, 6 boards, 6 of 8 shooting. Tyree Samuel, a double-double, 16 points, 11 rebounds for the Montreal native. Alamir Dawes, 13 points, but 5 of 18 shooting, 3 of 10 only from behind the arc. 6 each for Femi Odukali and Dre Davis, latter of which did it off the bench, but each of them are 2 of 8 from the floor. Odukali, six boards and four assists. Same with Nadefo. Just a three from Jameer Harris and then Tay Davis with two free throws in 10 minutes. I mean, worth noting, Seton Hall, 16 of 18 from the line. Colorado, 13 of 16. So really good free throw shooting, but, you know, bad late game execution. This time, it wasn't anything careless where they're throwing the ball away late in the game. They just made a defensive mistake at the worst time, you know, failing to guard a slip screen. And let it, and Al Dawes just let his man score an easy bucket off that slip screen. So that's tough. Villain, uh, Seton Hall finishes 17-16 and 16 in year one of the Shaheen Holloway era. But man, I mean, that's gut-wrenching to have to go one and done in the Big East Tournament and the NIT. And lose both of those games by just one point. And in very similar fashions. Where their opponent lit it up from three. They defended the interior pretty well. But they come up short by just a single point. Now it's basketball sometimes. Sometimes that's just how the, bou- that's just how the ball bounces. So to end this episode... Might as well make some first four picks. The last two first four games on the men's side are tonight. Starting with FDU and Texas Southern. I feel like Texas Southern's in the first four. Feels like every year. 
Pretty sure this is the third year in a row they're in it. FDU, this is their third overall appearance. Uh, they lost in 16 to Florida Gulf Coast. And then in 19, they beat Prairie View A&M, another SWAC team like Texas Southern. Texas Southern, I don't know why they're the home team and they were seeded overall higher than FDU because they finished eighth in the SWAC at 7-11. and 11. And they're 14 and 20 overall. Meanwhile, FDU, they finished tied for second in the Northeast Conference. But let's be real. The team that should be in this game is Merrimack, who actually won the conference tournament, but they can't compete in the NCAAs because of the stupid NCAA rule that transitioning D1 programs are barred from the NCAA tournament and all postseason competition in general. Which is just so fucking stupid. Like, who cares if they're transitioning? You're trying to punish them for being better than the teams in their conference that have been established D1 programs for quite a while in most cases? Stop. And not to mention, Bellarmine got penalized last year for the same thing. And Jacksonville State got to go to the tournament and then proceeded to get slaughtered. By by Auburn. But FDU, I feel like this is different. The record's better. Texas Southern's favored by two and a half. Listen, take FDU money line. I know Texas Southern is is battle-tested. They played some of the toughest teams in the country. As a matter of fact, in non-conference play... They played five tournament teams just in the month of November. And they beat one of them. They beat Arizona State in overtime at home in the Pac-12 SWAC Legacy Series. You know, they played Oral Roberts as well as Houston. They played Auburn on the road and Kansas, who they lost to in the first round of the tournament a year ago in Fort Worth. But this is different. You know, FDU... Obviously, they don't deserve to be here in this in this game. Clearly, the team that deserves to be here is Merrimack. Or maybe they not might not even be in this position in general. They probably would be. But I think FDU is going to make the most of it. And I got the Knights winning. Uh, got to show off for Jersey. I feel like that's too much of a breakdown, but eh, whatever. And then uh, Nevada, Arizona State. To me, as I looked at it, Nevada shouldn't be in this tournament. Let's be real. They got bounced in the quarterfinals of the Mountain West tournament by San Jose State. I know it was a 5-4 game, but come on. Arizona State's got a lot more momentum. And to me, I think Nevada should have been on the outside looking in. And their spot should have been taken by one of those teams that got snubbed on Selection Sunday. For me, listen, and I'm not trying to be a hater from Seton Hall, but Rutgers didn't deserve to be in. Period. The injury to Mawat Mag should be irrelevant. 
You shouldn't be losing at home to Nebraska. You shouldn't be losing at Minnesota. Those are no if even without Mag, that's inexcusable. And then just seeing the tweets like, "Oh, we got snubbed and and all that." And like I think Governor Murphy tweeted why they deserve to be in. And then on top of that, I saw this one fan tweeting that they should sue the NCAA for that. And then they got beat by Hofstra. Hofstra in the first round of the NIT. So I don't want to hear any of that BS anymore. Me, personally, I think Clemson should have gotten their spot. And they beat NC State handily in the ACC quarters. And yet NC State's in this tournament and Clemson's not. Tell me how that makes sense. Especially when Clemson was a three seed in the ACC, NC State was a six. Sure, Clemson's overall record might not have stacked up, but come on. ASU, though, 100% deserved to be in. They had a really good finish to the season that included a big road win with that miraculous half-court buzzer beater to beat arch-rival Arizona at the McHale Center uh, from Desmond Cambridge, their leading scorer. And then they got to the Pac-12 semis. They were the sixth seed in the tournament, beat Oregon State, and then upset USC, who is in this tournament in the NCAAs, before falling to Arizona in the semis, who won the tournament. Arizona State's a two-point favorite, and you know, to me, gotta trust Bobby Hurley here. Or as John Rothstein would tweet out after Arizona State wins, Bobby effing Hurley. Which, I, it's funny how Rothstein's on the sidelines. He was on the sidelines last night in Dayton. He will be again tonight. So maybe I'll get to interview Bobby effing Hurley after a win. I feel like Arizona State, this is like their third appearance in the first four all-time. Lost to Syracuse in 18 and then beat St. John's in 19. And I'm going to take I'm gonna take the Sun Devils. Forks up. And they'll punch their ticket to Denver to play TCU. Meanwhile, FDU, the winner of FDU, Texas Southern, which I have FDU, they will head to Columbus to take on the top seed in the East, Purdue. And then last night, uh, Congrats to Greg Elliott and Pitt on their dramatic win over Mississippi State. They move on to Greensboro where they're going to take on Iowa State. And if they win that game, in all likelihood, they're going to get Xavier in the second round. Which you'll see Sean Miller coaching against his alma mater, which again, the NCAA probably really, really wants. And then obviously, congrats to Texas A&M Corpus Christi who beat Southeast Missouri State for their first ever NCAA tournament win. Uh, But unfortunately, they got to go to Birmingham to play the top overall seed in this tournament, Alabama in Birmingham. Uh, It just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Uh, 16 seed or not. But especially because of the fact that you're facing the number one overall seed. So Wednesday, uh, well, tonight, On the women's side, Mississippi State, Illinois, first four action. And that is in South Bend. I'm going to be biased here. I know Illinois assistant coach Emily Durr. Uh, She's from Utica. Um, I know her family. 
And last year, she was in the first four as a coach on Dayton staff. And they decimated DePaul in their first four game. And that was in Ames, Iowa. This time around, I know Mississippi State's got history, but that was with Vic Schaefer. Barely got in the tournament by the skin of their teeth. You know, I just like Illinois. I, I just like their chances. You know, and it's crazy to think Butler almost beat this Illinois team earlier in the season. Mississippi State's a one-point favorite, but I'm taking the align, fighting Illini and winning this game. And then at 9 o'clock, so you have 7 o'clock on ESPNU, Mississippi State, Illinois. 9 o'clock at um, Maples Pavilion in Palo Alto. Sacred Heart against Southern. Sacred Heart champions of the Northeast Conference. Southern champions of the SWAC. I'm going to take Southern winning this game. Even I got to go against the other shoe in D1, that being Sacred Heart. I'm going to pick the Jags winning to move on to face Stanford, the number four overall seed. And um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Igloo. Tomorrow, we're going to hit the exact midway point of the March Marathon. And joining me to preview Biggie's teams in the men's NCAA tournament, Michael DeRosa from Road to the Garden. Really good stuff that I know you'll thoroughly enjoy tomorrow when that goes live. And then I'm probably going to end up sharing my entire bracket. And the funny thing is, and I'll leave you with this, I still haven't done my brackets yet. And everything goes live tomorrow at noon. So yeah, I've procrastinated a little bit. I'll take I'll take the fall for that. It's on me. But at the same time, it's so hard to pick this bracket because it's wide open. And I don't know who to pick for a national champion. Like I might just pick one on a win. Like I have ideas, but I'm just gonna have to stick with one. I'm because I have no choice. I have to pick one. But the thing is, I said the same exact shit last year. And look what happened. I picked Kansas and they won the whole damn thing. So yeah, there's that. So I'm going to get to work on these brackets. I know I'm going to submit my main one uh, to obviously my family's pool. And then uh, to my buddy Dan's pool, which I won both of those last year. So fingers crossed I can go back to back like I'm on the cover of Lethal Weapon. Quoting back-to-back by Drake. Simpler time that came out in 2015. It's 20... Oh, my God. It's eight years old. Dude, I, I feel old. I still remember performing that in the Cove on Seton Hall's campus for an open mic night way back in the day. Back when that was still kind of hot. I'm dating myself on that. I mean, that was my sophomore year. Like, the first month or so after coming back from, uh, from summer vacation. But, uh... Yeah, and I might do a second one just to like, you know, fool around, see what else I like, maybe increase my chances of winning a, winning my family's pool. Definitely don't want to throw that second one in uh, in my buddy Dan's pool, but uh, I'll share my entire bracket picks probably tomorrow, or at least the Thursday portion of games. 
And then I'll share my women's bracket um, for at least half of it Friday. So thanks for tuning in. Catch you tomorrow for the midway point of the Igloo's 2023 March Marathon. Again, make sure to tune in because I got Michael DeRosa from Road to the Garden uh, previewing the men's NCAA tournament. Obviously, specifically with the five biggies teams in the field and what each team's ceiling and floor is for this tournament. So, you know, it's really entertaining. Obviously, we talked a lot of Big East basketball and specifically a lot about those teams. But, you know, it's just really entertaining all around. I know we talked about some other things, including, you know, bringing up the conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, former guest Jahans Maniga has shared, which I don't think is much more of a conspiracy theory anymore. I think it has a lot of merit to it. But anyway, you'll hear it all tomorrow on day 16, the exact midway point of the Igloos 2023 March Marathon.